1: Have you ever faced uncertainty in your life? That's kind of a dumb question, isn't it? We all have. And yet we are faced so often that we need to learn to pivot and learn to adapt and overcome. And sometimes that is so hard, isn't it? Sometimes life throws things at us over and over again and it just seems like someone's out to get us. But today's guest I'm going to we're going to talk about how to face uncertainties and learn to pivot. And we're going to be talking about what are some steps that you can take because we're definitely every day, it seems like there's something new that happens. Whether it's your job or career or relationships, something happens. And so we're going to be talking about how to face uncertainties and learn to pivot with Benoit Kim Don't coming up. Worry about today
0: or things we can-
1: Welcome to the Mental Health Today show. My name is John Cordray and I am a licensed therapist and I am the host of the Mental Health Today show. So glad that you are here. Some of you have been listening for a very long time and I really appreciate that and some of you might be just tuning in and uh, of course I appreciate you as well. Uh, I'm going to be talking about today something that I think is really interesting and something that every single one of us has faced at, at some point in our life. Whether it's it's a, a recent job loss, or maybe it's a breakup of a relationship or maybe something just happened out of the blue and it just knocked us on our feet, knocked us on, not on our feet, on our butt and it knocked us off and things that, that happen that we cannot control. How do we face that? And that's what we're going to be talking about today. How to face uncertainties and learn to pivot with Benoit Kim. Now, Benoit is a former policymaker turned therapist. Now, right there, that's pretty interesting. He's also the host of a podcast, Discover More Podcasts. It was a show for introspective thinkers and growth mindsets seeking authentic life stories. And after leaving the private sector upon graduation, Benoit joined Teach for America to teach in inner city Philadelphia, which soon became his entry point into the world of nonprofits and policy. Then in 2017, as a veteran, He experienced a deployment that forced him to take a leave from the American Corps' commitment to the FTA and his graduate studies at the University of Pennsylvania. This near deployment, this is when Trump and Kim Jong-un were threatening nuclear actions, and his unit was summoned to support the troops on the North-South Korean border, which was canceled just one day before his mobilization. Due to the situation being de escalated. This, though, catalyzed his first major depression and forced him to com- contemplate his mortality. Benoit, I am so glad that you're here. Thank you and welcome to the show.
2: Thank you for having me, and quite an honor and quite an introduction to start this Tuesday, or uh, start this Monday, to start the week.
1: Oh, you're welcome. You've got a lot of interesting things that you've gone through, and not all of them have been easy. In fact, a lot of them have been very difficult. So tell us a little bit about you, first of all, before we get into the main part of the episode. Tell us a little bit of your backstory.
2: Yeah. Simply put, I call myself and I'm proud of my identity as a student of life. I uphold endless curiosity because I think curiosity opens gateways into the unknown. And I feel like that makes a fun that makes the life a little bit more fun. And yeah, I had a lot of passions and I wanted to pick the vehicle for the most effective changes, which is policymaking. As a therapist like you and I, John, or as a lawyer, physicians, doctors, you can maybe impact hundreds a year, which is still amazing. But as a policymaker, you get to impact hundreds and thousands with creations of a bill. But I realized that a lot of my societal issues I was really deeply passionate about were in fact not a political or policy issues, but a byproduct or reflections of mental health, unintended mental health, intergenerational trauma, poverty, or some combination thereof. And I got really jaded in the policy sector for those six years. And I didn't want to sacrifice my soul for the sake of impact because I used to be utilitarian. And there's a lot of intricacies and nuance there we can go into later And I wanted to pick the micro. So I went from the macro to the micro, which is clinical work. And I'm honored and excited to sit across from you today.
1: Oh, that's awesome. So you've been through a lot and gone through a lot. And obviously, you have learned to pivot along the way. And so this is really a timely topic, I think, because right now, the political climate is kind of crazy the job market is getting crazy the housing market's getting crazy the economy is crazy and there's a lot of uncertainty and in in america and in other people in different countries we have gone and lived through a lot of uncertainty and this is nothing new but it doesn't make it any easier to get through this what would be something that some things that you have learned or some things that you can encourage others when it comes to facing uncertainties and how do we know how to pivot?
2: Yeah, I think uh, what you said is under where the American political landscape is burning down as we speak and which has a ripple effect on the global scale. But yeah, I just want to preface by saying that change is hard, period. No matter the level and the size of change, no matter the size of the level or the chapters of life you're currently in and your age. I think change is hard, period. And I think we need to first reconcile and accept that fact. But for me, what I learned through my multiple pivots, and of course, COVID was a great pause. It was a masterclass for pivots and unknown. In addition to a lot of atrocities, I think we have to first accept that life is larger than we are. We have to first accept and internalize the truth that we don't have our pulse or control over the sequence of life. It happens. and life is what it is. So I think we have to start there because a lot of our maps of reality are outdated, or we have this maps that this is how I want to perceive life as I see fit, but perception isn't reality. So I think before we talk about any sort of change, we have to talk about and recognize where we are, and then we can talk about what does that mean, the power of why, the motivation for change, and we can do some incremental steps or systems to create the change that really really want to see:
1: yeah, and I think you really hit the head on hit the nail on the head there when you said that perception is not reality, and so often it is perception, but it feels like reality. I see clients every single day, and they all have experienced hard things in their life, and yet so often it's what they perceive, what they think is going to happen or what they assume is going to happen, but it's not necessarily going to happen It's what they think. So they have these cognitive distortions and they start to believe it and it gets them down. So for instance, an example would be, well, we know that a lot of layoffs have happened recently. Meta alone just laid off 11,000 and that can cause someone to really go in a desperate mode. And that's the job, maybe their dream job. And now all of a sudden they don't have a job and they're trying to reconcile. What do I do? What do I do now? And they start to think, well, maybe it was something I did. Maybe I'm a bad employee. I'm a bad person. And they start going down that rabbit trail and it's really the perception and then not necessarily the reality. And I think that's kind of one of the first places to start is what i'm thinking right now is it perception is it my perception or is it actually happening and sometimes it is happening but a lot of times it's perception
2: yeah i used to i came up with this equations or formula a few years ago i called it the reality equations which is reality equals to perceptions plus perspective but i think i've Recently, came to unlearn that equations, and I just call it reality equals to reality, period. Mm. Because, as you said, our thoughts are often distorted based on environmental feedback, our trauma, our upbringings, our mental states. Based on just like when you read a certain text from your friend or loved ones, how you interpret that text is a direct reflection of how you feel in that very moment. Simple as that, right? And of mm. course, we sometimes internalize that text as hostile or passive aggressive even though it's our feelings that's clouding how we read that text. And I feel like we really need to accept and unlearn the fact that our feelings are facts because they're not, our mm-hmm. feelings our thoughts are reality because mm-hmm. they're not. And by tweaking and re- refining, we have as much accurate information that's being provided by this container of life, then we can apply into the perspective and to navigate life in a way that's serving to us.
1: Well, that's exactly right. And that's a good point. Our feelings are valid. Definitely valid. Our feelings are valid. We're human. We are to have feelings, but they're not always rooted in the truth. And so often if it is something that we think is happening or going to happen, it's not rooted in the facts. And that, I mean, I think you're exactly right. And I think it's important for us no matter what we're going what other whether what kind of a change that we're going through or uncertainty our future is uncertain whatever we're going through we have to ask ourselves what am i feeling right now anxiety depression maybe it's a lot of stress okay though that's valid but what is it rooted in is it catastrophizing is it are you starting to believe that your life is going to be over as you know it So that is a a good first place to start. And I think you're exactly right. So Benoit, I would love to know some more of your life. You've gone through a lot of twists and turns and you've gone through a lot of change and uncertainty. I just read your bio and there was a lot just there. But even I'm sure growing up was probably going, going through some difficult times.
2: Yeah, so for the audio listeners, they can't see what I look like since this is an audio platform. <laughs> I am in Korean American, and I received my naturalized citizenship through my military service with the U.S. Army. But until my deployment, where I first experienced the catalyzing major depressions in 2017, I was one of those folks that didn't really believe in mental health. I was raised by a tiger mom, for those who are not familiar with the terminology Imagine an alpha woman that has this authoritative dictator-like regime and the regime is the household that she ruled over. And I was a member of that regime as her offspring and as her kid. Uh, I was raised under this archetypical mindset that achievements above all things, perseverance will always prevail. Big revelations, it doesn't. It, it, It always prevails until it doesn't. And I just realized that anytime I had a stressors or venting. They just told me to don't think about it, sleep on it, work harder. As long as you put your head down, I'll work everyone around you, you're going to rise to the top. In some cases, that may be true. And in my case, it was true until my deployment happened, which I realized I don't get to control the sequence of life based on how it unfolds solely uh, predicated on my willpower and my sheer discipline alone. It's very inadequate. So that's one of the few things. And like you said, growing up, I just didn't really believe in mental health. I went to an Ivy League school. I did all the right things. And I was a poster child for success in almost every aspect, except I was deeply unhappy. I, I was very stressed, which I didn't know about. I had all of these childhood traumas and relational traumas that was unbeknownst to me until I came to understand what that is what even is trauma? What does it look like? How does it manifest? How does it come up and impact me in this very far-reaching way that has ripples of effects for many years until I saw therapy of my own? But now because of my upbringings and how I was raised, I have even more of empathy for those because I understand that I was once an unbeliever, not even a skeptic. I just didn't believe in mental health as a thing. And now on my show and my mission as a therapist, my goal is to just show the world that mental health equals to health. Simple as that.
1: Yeah, I love that phrase, mental health is health. And that's exactly right. We, we can't segregate physical health with our mental health because they're one. And you, you can't have good mental health and, and not have good physical health and vice versa. It's definitely goes together. And I talk about that a lot. And you mentioned, so you talked about growing up with a tiger mom. And I think we all most of us probably understand what that is. But what are some of the beliefs? I mean, we talked about perception a little bit ago, and this was before you became a therapist, before you even started to believe that mental health and therapy was a good thing. what were some of the perceptions that you had about yourself?
2: Yeah, that's a great question. So I think some of the unhealthy core beliefs I held until it was shattered. reality. I think some of them is I believed in the fact that my dedications and my effort will determine the outcome of my life, which is not true as we established that we don't get to control or influence life based on our effort alone. Uh, I was raised under the belief that I was raised with a certain privilege, but I also had a lot of oppressions. And but then at the same time, we were still part of the more privileged folks on the spectrums of privilege because everyone has different sets of given and takes based on your circumstances. But most importantly, I think I was raised not as a narcissist, but as this very self-centered lens that as long as you have all these fancy honorifics and all these fancy resume building on your life resume or whatever resume, then that itself will open all the gateways to life. And I think I was raised under this falsehood that my worth is attached to what I do. And my self-worth is externalized based on these external societal metrics. And like I said, on that same breath, I was successful in many metrics, but I was deeply unhappy. And I learned to know that self-worth is not what we do. That's actually one of the hardest things on program and one of the most detrimental thing for men, especially in 2022. Because like who are we without saying what we do? So I think those are some of the core beliefs that uh, comes up during this conversation.
1: Yeah, and and so that's really helpful. Core beliefs, that's a big one. No matter who you are, a man or a woman, core beliefs is a big one. And when we have uh, a core belief, and that belief might be shattered in some way. You talked about how you were really driven and you wanted to be successful. In a lot of ways, you were. You went into policymaking, you became a therapist, you enlisted, and you're a veteran. And so by all intents and purposes, you had it pretty man.
0: Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time.
1: And if you love the filet of
0: fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only.
1: Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Hey, it was, you had it all kind of planned out. And from other people looking at your life, it probably seemed like you had it all together. But you were saying, no, you didn't have it all together. And uh, a lot of things that uh, you thought were going to happen didn't happen and things that you didn't think were going to happen did happen. And that's what happens in life, isn't it? So, what are some things how did you face those uncertainties? And at what point did you tell yourself I need to pivot and what did that look like?
2: Yeah, so I get asked about that question often and I think I would have to attribute my capacity for change for my intuition, which is cultivated through my daily meditation practice and a lot of my Eastern mindfulness orientations for the past three, four years. And intuition is a very meta things because you can't quite articulate what it is. But for me, intuition is this combinations, this collective ability for us to assess based on all the information feedback by making the most optimal decisions. And all of us have, are intuitive spiritual beings, according to my faith and my practice as a spiritual person. Uh, but I think all of our intuitions get diluted or clouded through distractions, through technologies, just through environments. And I think all of us have certain avenues and methods to sort of dust off the distractions or dust off the dust, so to speak, off the intuitions. Uh, and that ability gives you this attunement to pick up your internal emotional cues and signals. So for me, a great giveaway is this feeling of stagnancy where, like, I said, I'm very self-disciplined, I'm very motivated by what I do. Because I love what I do, because it's a product of three different career pivots in seven to eight years. So when I have this feeling, I sort of I just know intuitively. I call it intuitive whisper by Amassing Kip. His terminology. So when I feel this intuitive whispers, I will enter my cultivated practices like journaling, meditations, sort of downloading my thoughts into paper. So it's more I see the clarity in front of me versus this floating ideas in my brain internally. And the second thing is my faith, where I'm a very I'm a fairly spiritual and religious person. So I pray a lot. And I think a lot of men, and of course women, but since men are generally more ego driven, that's a general blanket statement, of course, where I think we view surrender as giving up. We view surrender as letting just life happens to us, then there's nothing we can do but taking life. It's it's like no, we don't get to control life, but we get to control what we do and how we respond to life and that's a lot of ownership and empowerment i spoke with my clients about and in that sense i let god this entity i believe in some people call it the source the universe whatever names you feel comfortable with but i do use that word intentionally because i want to reclaim the word god just like i want to reclaim the love word love and reclaim the terminology holistic health because i do think that it's been very diluted in the western context and i just let God, take care of my existential crisis so that I can focus and discern what I can control in this moment. What can I do to show up? And based on that, it allows me to pivot based on picking up the cues and for me to discern what can I do about these cues that I'm feeling eternally.
1: Well, that's excellent. And so I think what I'm hearing you say is that you've been intentional with your self-care. Hyper-intentional, yes. Yeah. Yeah, no, I think that's so important. I do talk a lot about self-care and so often we don't think about self-care because uh, some people think that self-care, yeah, it's going to the spa, getting a massage, getting your foot, all that's good, but it's not necessarily uh, caring for the self. And I think what you're describing is a more deeper, a lot of introspection. It's pausing life. It's, reflecting on a more existentially of who you are and where do you fit in this world? Those are really good self reflection things to do. And that is uh, a lot of self care because you have gone through a lot of dark places. And you mentioned that you went into major depression really not that long ago, several years ago. And that, that's a dark place. That's some of your darkest hours, I would imagine. And people who are listening to this, know they know all too well what that's like. Because either they've gone through it, or they've been through it, or are in it, or have a family member that's going through it. And it's harder than everybody. So what would you say helped you get out of that dark moment when you were deeply depressed?
2: yeah I think similar to what allowed me to answer my intuitive whispers and make my pivots when I felt the need or the inkling to is a supportive system. I often say on my show that healing often takes a village because as John, all of us are born with different sets and different thresholds for willpower, distress tolerance, and these are genetic markers. plus, Nurturing, I don't know why people ask, is it nature or nurture? It's both, always. Mm -hmm. So I've had a very close and intimate circle of trust that could really stress test me and could really hold me accountable from a place of love, not a place of ego. So these are the people I will go to. At the same time, though, as you said, major depression is this utter, ever-consuming dark. I stopped my workout routine for the first time in seven years. At that point, I've never skipped a workout until this moment. I couldn't get out of bed. It's not that I don't want to. And for the listeners, I've been a a 5am workout person for many years, and I couldn't leave the bed, I couldn't shower, I lacked all motivations. I didn't even want to go out and eat. And for me, food is medicine. So it's a very dark place where it seems hopeless even though there is hope often, always. But to me at the time, it seemed seemingly hopeless. My mom, all these loved ones would give me packages of care, words of affirmations, but none of them worked. Not because I didn't care. I just couldn't, I was not in control of my mental state and physical state. Because as we talked about, mental health is health, period. At the same time, I knew that I've had a tribe, a village I can rely on, that I could depend my life on, no matter what happens. So through repetitions, through these receptivity based on my Asian upbringing and how much of a pillar family is, I gradually learned to force myself to do something about it. In DBT, we call it opposite emotions, right? You do what's the opposite of how you feel, which is very counterintuitive. And it sounds simple, but it's very hard. And I think in that sense, my certain level of willpower allowed me to finally get me out the door, do something about it. And I was able to get connected with a therapist. So it's very interesting because I went from zero of non-believing straight to major depressions and seeing a therapist uh, all in this sequence of six to nine months period. And of course, therapist is like picking up flavors out of a buffet. You're not going to like every flavors. And there's a lot of emotional burdens to having to repeat your stories over and over again to strangers, although they may be licensed therapists one may. But for me, I got lucky because the first flavor I picked out happened to be a very compatible flavor that I think that allows me to move through because I hate when people say overcoming. What is there to overcome? Depressions and anxiety are part of us, but they don't have to be us. So I was able to move through my major depressions that lasted about almost a year. And I was able to get back to my groove and sort of find the intentions for my next steps that allowed me all the series of events that transpired after the fact.
1: Well, that is fantastic. And that's such a great testimony of what you can do when you're experiencing that deep darkness and you leaned into it. There was a point in time in your life because you said that you just couldn't get out of bed, but at some point you decided, I've got to, I've got to do something. I have got to lean into this and, I, and, and no one's going to do it for me. Even if I don't feel like it, I've got to get up and I got to get moving. And that's really an encouragement, I think, to a lot of people who are struggling because it's not necessarily going to go out, go away on their own. It's something that you're going to have to work on and lean into and ask for help. And that's what you did. And I love the fact uh, that you mentioned that there are a lot of different flavors of therapists out there. And that's so true. And, And not every therapist is going to be the right fit. I do talk about that. It's one of the things that I talk to a client that I see for the very first time. I said, I may not be for you, and that's okay. I'm not going to be offended. But what I want is to make sure that you find value. And you only find value in the session is if you can connect with your therapist. And that's really important to me. So hopefully, I'm the right flavor for you. (laughs) I like that. So we're getting towards the end of our session. And this has been great because you're just kind of going through real life and life happens. Your life is not going to be the exact same as someone who's listening to this, but in their life is not going to be the same as others, but it's almost 100% guaranteed. It's going to, something's going to happen. That's going to throw them for a loop and what they're going to do in the face of that uncertainty, in the face of that change, how are they going to make that pivot? And when are they going to make the pivot? And sometimes we have to grieve. And sometimes the pivot comes a little later and that's okay. Other times we may need to pivot pretty quickly and decide what to do. But I loved what you said about it takes a village. And and that that really became popular a long time ago. It takes a village in a community. And a community we care for one another and we're there for one another. And it's important that we all surround us, surround ourselves with a community and people that we can go to and reach out to, or who will reach out to us, or maybe they'll kick us in the pants when we need to. But having that community is so, so important. And that community can help us face those uncertainties and help us make the pivot. So fantastic. Benoit, thank you so much. And normally I ask about what my guests do for self-care but you just did a little bit ago you do a lot of the thing is there anything different anything else that you would like to add to the self-care that you do
2: yeah i really love your reframing or clarifications or defining what self-care is and as you said self-care is self-preservations and preserving the self looks different sometimes it's peaches and rainbows it's a spa with a margarita even though i don't drink alcohol or it could be doing a 40 days of rigorous shadow work to really get to the shadow self. But it's all about what can you do to preserve yourself. In that sense, I also have some stoic practices. So one thing I will share is about twice a year, frequency changes depending on what I'm going through. But on average, it's five to six months. And then I do it again before the year ends. I would ask myself what I'm driving, because I've had three near year death experiences and two of them were because of near fatal car crashes, one being I was a second car of the five car collisions. So I bring that example forward because that was one of the firsthand experiences that taught me that life could happen in a split second. It doesn't matter how great of a driver you have, even though I've had a perfect 10-year driving record up to that point. So sometimes when I drive for twice a year with the stoic practice, I would ask myself, If I were to get into another fatal car crash in the next two minutes, what are some of the regrets I have at this very moment? What are they? And now I will give myself a 30-second pause because I don't really listen to anything in the car. I just keep it quiet on my way from work to home and vice versa. And based on your heightened self-awareness and your level of understanding of yourself, certain thoughts may emerge. And based on what comes up, I then use the Socratic questions on myself and then Why is this a regret? What about that regret? What about this one? What does this mean? And based on that, I sort of try to come up with insights and actionable items that I can apply as long as I survive that car ride back to home if nothing happens. But I do that about twice a year every year since my fatal car crash three, four years ago. And I use that as a grounding mechanism because it grounds me knowing that I'm just a small, infinite floating stardust and I have no control over the grand scheme of life. But then when it happens, I can at least know that, do I have any regrets? Because I truly believe that regrets are preventable. And you can manage it by being intentional, the way we started today's interview.
1: Mm, I love that. Excellent. Well, again, I want to really thank you and appreciate you for coming on and just kind of sharing with us a little bit about your life. And you mentioned your podcast, Discover More Podcast. Where can they, where can they find that?
2: Yeah, I appreciate you for having me. And yeah, I don't have any books to publish or promote today. So I'm just here for an awesome conversations. If you resonate with anything I shared, if you want to get to know more about some of the toolkits, I work with my clients and patients or some of the introspective talking points I take away from my day-to-day or week-to-week reflections because I'm an introspective thinker, which is a premise of the show. Check us out on all platforms, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your favorite dosage of podcast, at Discover More Podcast. We also have a YouTube channel that's doing really well. It's only been five months old. If you're more of a visual watcher, find us on YouTube at Discover More Podcast or connect with us, shoot us a message, and chat, us, chat with me offline in all things mental health and spirituality on Instagram at Discover More Podcast. I love when listeners or watchers reach out via messages. Nothing brightens my day more than... A, encouragement or how my episode helps your day to day, because life is hard. But I think it's important for all of us to know that none of us walk this path of life alone.
1: That is so true. Life is hard and, and I do. I love it when listeners reach out to me too. That's awesome. We'll make sure that we put everything on the show notes as well to contact you. Uh, you can go to mentalhealthtodayshow.com. Again, that's mentalhealthtodayshow.com. And you can look up this episode and all the other episodes as well right there for you. And thank you so much for listening. And remember, I want you to continue to work on your mental health. We talked a lot about it today. And there are a lot of things that, that you cannot control and a lot of uncertainty and things happen out of the blue, but just try to remember what we talked about today. And, and there are some things that you can do that's intentional. And that's what I want you to do. I want you to be intentional with your mental health. Thank you so much, friends. And as uh, I've said before, lots and lots of times, the mental health today show has been championing your mental health since 2015. Take care and goodbye bye.
0: Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day.